0: The following is a special sponsored edition of the Big Four Bio Podcast. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Big Four Bio Podcast. As the ability to harness DNA extends well beyond medicine to agriculture and industry, the demand for synthetic DNA to drive the new bioeconomy is growing rapidly. The problem has been that the traditional method of chemical synthesis of DNA hasn't changed much since it was first developed about 30 years ago and presents limits on the length of oligonucleotides that can be created. Molecular Assemblies is developing an enzymatic DNA synthesis technology designed to power the next generation of DNA-based products. It says its approach can be used to write longer oligonucleotides that expand potential applications, provides higher quality output, and offers greater efficiency without toxic chemical byproducts. We spoke to Molecular Assembly's president and CEO, Mike Kamdar, and co-founder and chief scientific officer, Bill Efkovich, about the company's technology for enzymatic synthesis of DNA, how it improves on current methods, and its plans for commercialization. Mike, Bill, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dan, for
1: having us.
2: Dan, thank you so much for having us. We're we're greatly appreciative.
0: We're going to talk about molecular assemblies, DNA synthesis, and how the use of enzymatic processes rather than chemical processes is changing what's possible. Bill, perhaps we can begin with synthetic DNA and and how it's used today.
1: Um, Yeah. Synthetic DNA is one of the four technologies that are foundational to all modern biotechnology. So synthesis, sequencing, PCR amplification, and now gene editing. And synthetic oligos is really like the queen of the battle, if you will. Synthetic oligos, synthetic DNA fuels all of the modern applications that are used.
0: This is generally done through a process of chemical synthesis. Bill, when You were at Applied Biosystems, you actually commercialized the first process for doing this. How is DNA generally synthesized today? What what does it take to actually
1: do that? Yeah, so since the invention of the phosphoramidite chemical synthesis method in 1981 and subsequent commercialization in 1983, the chemically synthesized uh, oligonucleotide or DNA industry has grown to be about a billion dollars a year. Um, And that's done uh, by a sequential addition of a nucleotide, A, G, C, and T, one at a time, to a growing strand that's on a solid phase, generally a bead, and that's done with a completely non aqueous organic chemical process.
0: And by and
1: large, the companies doing this today, are they, has that process evolved? Are they essentially doing it differently? Um, yeah, they're all still using essentially the exact same chemistry that was, um, introduced in 1983. There's been subtleties, there's been operational efficiency, there's been a lot of automation, there's been changes to the scale to make it more cost-effective and efficient, but uh, uh, it, it really hasn't changed much since 1983. Are there limitations to this process? Are there things that it can or can't do well? The limitations to the chemical synthesis of, of DNA has two primary factors. Um, the first is, is that it's an exponential decay in the amount of product that's produced, so that the longer you go, the less of the final oligonucleotide that you get. So you get more 20-mer than if you try to make a 80-mer. It's, it's just a law of nature. It's called the exponential decay. Um, And that limiting yield is what limits the economics of how long of an oligo you can make. The second limitation to the chemical method is is that because it's it's all done with organic chemistry, there's some strong acids, there's some other reagents that are used, you do get a certain percentage of chemical modification of the strands, unwanted chemical modification of the strands as they're being made. Uh, and and that, that also, again, limits the, the quality and the length of the molecules you can get. I think to the second part of your question, I, again, the chemical method um, of, of synthesis is, it's, it's been tremendous boom. All of those other technologies in life sciences that I've described have come from the ready availability of synthetic oligonucleotides. So like for instance, PCR primers and probes for diagnostics or probes for DNA sequencing, all of that comes out of the chemical synthesis. So if you want, you know, reasonably short materials, 20 to 30 bases in length, chemical methodology exceeds at that. The yield is very high and the quality is is pretty good. Um, uh, It does reasonably well at making oligonucleotides that are up to 60 to 100 nucleotides in length, but that's pretty much the limit. And that's, that's defined by the purity and your ability to purify away the product. Dan, what I would
2: add, uh, just add to what Bill's saying is like still limited to 70 to 100 nucleotides, even after 40 years. And, and, and and our goal at molecular assemblies and what we're after is to go beyond that And we'll explain as we go forward in this conversation all the upside utilities that we can access by going longer.
0: For a lay person, what is the significance of the
1: length of the
0: oligonucleotide?
1: There are lots of applications that require longer and longer synthetic um, stranded oligonucleotides and where the chemical process just breaks down uh, as I said, things over hundred nucleotides are generally uh, not well done by the chemical method. Um, some of the, there are new applications in gene editing and in gene synthesis that require longer and longer oligonucleotides. And there's a whole class of applications that are, you know, more cutting edge. And, and it, it's one of those situations where if you make long oligonucleotides readily available to people. They will find new uses for them.
0: In 2013, Bill, you co-founded Molecular Assemblies. What was the need you were trying to address? What problems were you trying to solve?
1: Well, it was exactly the need for long pure DNA. I was well aware of the limitations of the chemical method and aware of the fact that you know, for gene synthesis, for gene editing, for other applications that people wanted long, pure, single-stranded DNA, and that's, you know, just cost not effective to get those through the chemical methodology.
0: Bill, how does enzymatic synthesis of DNA work? How does it differ from chemical synthesis?
1: Enzymatic synthesis of DNA works by using polymerases, and reversible terminators in an all aqueous process. So, the methodology that we're guiding to will use entirely enzymatic addition and deprotection of those reversible terminators in a process we call PHEOS for fully enzymatic oligonucleotide synthesis. The oligos will be grown on a bead or a two dimensional surface much like is done today, and then harvested from those beads or those two-dimensional surfaces. One of the advantages of the
0: enzymatic process is it can produce longer sequences of DNA. How much longer are the sequences, and does that enable new applications that weren't possible
1: with chemical synthesis? So we're still pushing the envelope on the length of oligonucleotides, Um, As we've said, the chemical methodology pretty much caps out at about 100 nucleotides. So, you know, that's the starting point for us is to go above 100 nucleotides and to push that as far as we can. Uh, There is a whole spectrum of needs for longer and longer oligonucleotides, anywhere from 150 nucleotides all the way up to full gene length, which are like a kilobase. And the in certain applications, take for instance, the use of single-stranded oligos for gene editing, it just is completely unthinkable to use the chemical method to make single-stranded oligos of, of significant length. In the terms of gene synthesis, uh, the experts in the field clearly state that going into the assembly of many oligos to make an entire gene the longer the single strand oligos that go into that, the better, the more efficient, and the higher um, producing yield that you get out of the assembly.
2: What we've talked about is you know, when, when Bill and I get to talk to investors or get to public presentations, you know, it, it's life sciences, the world of CRISPR, as Bill's just described. You need, you, you need to edit something back in. And so the length that we provide will open doors into CRISPR. We've, we've announced a relationship with GE focused on vaccines. So two years ago we would have said that was an aspirational goal of ours and we've achieved that. So we're working on building vaccines uh, with our, with our technology. Cause of course you need longer DNA to do that. We think the whole world of agriculture, food and beverages, uh, DNA data storage there's just so many opportunities along the spectrum that that we're interested in pursuing
0: beyond the longer oligonucleotides what are some of the other benefits of this approach
1: well um, the significant one is is that it's a completely sustainable process it's aqueous and doesn't use organic reagents and all well, sort of toxic and flammable reagents and that's a that's a key point of scaling to large scale manufacture of synthetic DNA. And then on top of that, I mean, just practically, um,
2: you know, our, our relationship with GE and DARPA is the idea is to generate a six by six by six foot box that you could drop into a hot zone and make unit doses overnight. And the reality is you can't do that with harsh chemicals, right, and so, so we already have an advantage by essentially making DNA, DNA the way your body makes DNA.
0: Are the existing enzymes a, a limit at all for you in synthesizing DNA through your process?
1: Yes, uh, the wild type DNA. Uh, template independent polymerase is not suitable for these reversible terminators. Uh, That's the reason that we um, entered into a protein engineering collaboration with Codexus in Redwood City.
0: Well, let's talk about that. Mike, in June 2020, you announced the deal with Codexus to accelerate commercialization of enzymatic DNA. The company, as part of the agreement, also made an equity investment in the company, how do you see this partnership
2: accelerating the work you're doing? I mean, I you know, Dan, what I what I think is that uh, Codexis is they they they've been around for more than a decade. They're a protein engineering shop. Uh, they have technology that just far exceeds what we could do in house. And so the the example we always give is like we can make a hundred variants in a month, and they can make two thousand every two weeks. So they've accelerated our program. The nicety about the relationship with Codexis is, you know, in the past they 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 probably spent more time doing sort of fee for service deals. This was a true partnership where they invested in molecular assemblies. They take equity as part of their 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 fee structure, and we've really become very very close partners. And I think, you know, what what what's happened is, you know, they've accelerated our efforts towards commercialization and that's what that's what bill and i were thinking about all along it's like a buyer build discussion but uh they've turned out to be just an essential partner for us
0: and when you look at molecular assemblies what's the business model who's the customer is this Mm -hmm. a a fee-for-service business where someone requests a specific sequence and you provide it to them or do you work differently with different customers
2: you know, I, I, I think that's a cool question, right? Because, because the reality is the answer is yes, across the board, right? Where you go, sure, there's some people that might say, hey, I want a sequence and can you deliver it to me tomorrow? Yes, of course. But then there's also bigger partners that might say, you know, we, we want multiple sequences. We want multiple things. We want, you go into the pharma world, we want genes, you know, we want you to be our starting product for API. I think, I think the nicety of, of of where we sit currently, Dan, is the idea that we could provide into all these different verticals. Where if you were a chemical company, you're stuck. And so, so you know, the answer, you know, when Bill and I get asked all the time, who are you, who are your uh, who are your customers? Well, the customers are a lot and broad, and they all have different requests. But I think I think what we're doing, um, we'll be able to address all, all their specific needs.
0: As you think about potential markets, how are you evaluating your opportunities? Is DNA for an industrial application the same value as DNA for a vaccine or a therapeutic from the perspective of the markets you're pursuing?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, I mean, so the reality is this, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of the proving ground, right? And you have to prove yourself that what we say is what we can do. and. And in that world, uh, I think life sciences and some of the stuff Bill talked about with CRISPR and with the vaccine stuff we're doing, we're proving what we can do, right? And then, but as you start to expand on that, you start looking at the opportunity, like uh, think about this. So DNA data storage, you know, every cell your body has your entire genetic code. We're running out of server space, you know, TikTok, Instagram, all these things are just just generating so much data that even the the government's worried about, well, how are we going to, how are we going to survive historical data? And so the reality is this, that, you know, Bill and I are part of a, a consortium that includes, you know, Microsoft twist Western digital Illumina that is focused on building a roadmap for storing data on using DNA and it, it makes perfect sense. It, it, it's not trivial how we're going to do it, but the, the but the reality is, you, ultimately, you might be able to you know store your entire life's worth of volume, pictures, codes, uh, hospital records, all the rest, all, all on on you know a couple droplets of DNA. So 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 the opportunities are are, are really really boundless, but super cool.
0: As you prepare to begin making commercial offerings, you've been going out and talking to potential customers. What have you learned in those discussions?
2: You know, that's that's, that's a great question too. I mean, I think what we've learned, I might answer your question differently um, three, four years ago. So three, four years ago, you asked me that same question. I would have said it's cost, right? Cost, 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 and keep the price down. and. And, and so on. What I actually think the reality is now is delivery time. And, and so everybody wants what they need, whether you're a, a, a beverage company, a food company, an ag company, a life science company, the turnaround time to get what you need to drive your business forward is, is critical. And so what, what you know, We predicted this, but what we're seeing currently, and we've done a bunch of different uh, podcasts over time, it just says turnaround time, delivery time is essential, even above cost, which is, which is, which is a true shift in, in, in synthetic biology. And does
0: your enzymatic process have a, a time advantage to more traditional chemical synthesis?
2: Uh, we believe so, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, we, we think we can turn things around a lot quicker. You know, Bill, Bill can tell you technically why that's the case, but, but I think that our view of life is that, uh, we can turn things around a lot faster than chemical companies. And then, you know, you know, if you order a gene through the chemical route, there's a failure, there's about 30% failure rate. And so our job is to ensure that that doesn't happen and that we can deliver things faster.
0: Earlier this year, you completed a $24 million Series A venture round. How's that money being
2: used? Um, it, it's being used to advance the, the company. Um, we have hired pretty aggressively. Uh, you know, we're fundraising again. And, and the money's really being focused on a couple of different angles. One, you know, building out our platform engineering team. Our automation team. So we brought in uh, a guy named Phil Peck, who's our VP of platform engineering from Illumina. And and the reality is, you know, as Bill can attest, you know, people were doing everything by hand up until late last year. And now we're doing it on a, in an automated way. So so it's really helping to accelerate the company. We've certainly added to our molecular biology team, we've added to our engineering team, we've added to our chemistry team. So so I think the funds are really earmarked to accelerate the development of molecular assemblies.
0: And what's the timetable right now for commercial offerings?
2: So I think I think we'll be in a position for commercial launch full scale. I mean, what so let me back you up. So sometime next year we'll do a key customer program so we'll get we'll get product in the hand of customers in 2022 but the full-scale uh, launch of, um, of, of of multiple lines that we're developing will be in 2023
0: Mike Camdar president and CEO of molecular assemblies and Bill Efkovich, co-founder and chief scientific officer of molecular assemblies Mike bill thanks for your time today
2: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Dan.
0: Thanks for listening. The Big Four Bio podcast is brought to you by Big Four Bio, a leading aggregator service of four of the top life sciences centers in the world: Boston, San Diego, Philadelphia, and the San Francisco Bay Area. To subscribe for free to Big Four's daily newsletters, go to bigfourbio.com. This podcast is produced by the Levine Media Group for Big Four Bio. Our theme music is provided for the podcast by the Jonah Levine Collective. and appears on the album Attention Deficit by Alpha Pup Records.